Welcome to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast. This week I am joined by Lena Dash Young. Lena, um, it's been a while since you and I spoke. It was before the Christmas and New Year break. Um, great to have you on, on the show. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, yes, thanks for having me. You are very much welcome. Look, if you could just give us a, a very quick overview as to what your role is, the, the company, the organisation and the advisory work that you're now doing so that everyone has a, a, a very quick snippet of, of what, you, what you do and who you are. Sure. Um, so I currently work as an independent advisor and the name of my company is called Ronnie Bio Group. And basically I provide advisory services to biopharma companies, health technology companies, venture capital, private equity. And mm. it's really been a lot of fun because I've had to have the chance to meet so many interesting colleagues and work on really diverse projects. Uh-huh. Well, so you're now running your own business. You're working as a, an advisor and a founder, um, as Ronnie Bio. Previously, though, uh, you worked for some huge pharma organizations and sure. have been in, in the, the world of clinical trials and pharma for a while. Um, most notably, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, was 15 years um, at kind of the, the stars of, of the moment, Pfizer. Um, if you could just give us a, a bit of a, a rewind, really, um, as to how your journey into the world of pharmaceuticals initially came about did you you know was this something that you wanted to, to go into as a as a youngster as a, as a sort of kid coming out of high school and things or you know how did it all come about oh that's a great question um well i was raised um by two healthcare providers my mother was a nurse and my father was a physician he was actually a psychiatrist and, you know, being the oldest child um, of an Indian father, you know, he really wanted me to become a physician because we had a long line of physicians in our family. Yeah. And so when I was a child, he would take me with him on rounds at the hospital. And he would, you know, one day I remember him taking me to the emergency room, sitting me down and say, okay, we need you to, I need you to learn this. I want you to watch these doctors stitch up this child <laughs> with a gash in his head. So I got a lot of exposure to healthcare as a really young kid. Mm. And then in high school, I used to work in his office in the summertime. And so, you know, looking back, you know, it was interesting because I got exposure to, you know, wide variety of individuals, obviously, mm. but also understanding patient confidentiality, you know, how to respect people and learning a little bit about the business side. So, but I didn't start off thinking I was going to a pharmaceutical industry. In fact, in fact, the only thing I really knew about it were maybe the pens that my father had or some of the tchotchkes, you know, the giveaways that he would have on his desk. Yeah. And that was my whole, ex I mean, I, it hadn't crossed my mind, but I ended up starting out um, in pharmacy school. I actually started in chemistry mm. as my major at Purdue University and switched to pharmacy school when a number of friends of mine, you know, found it very interesting. Mm. And so I started my kind of pharmaceutical career in a way in by getting a bachelor's of pharmacy and then a doctor of pharmacy degree. And wow. all those years, I never really pictured myself as a pharmacist in a traditional Walgreens, you know, and as we say, it, um, I wasn't as attracted to the count for lick and stick, which was always the, the way we would sort of casually refer to retail pharmacy, but it's a noble profession for sure. I'm actually married a retail pharmacist, oh, um, wow. but yeah, I did. Um, but in pharmacy school, I actually worked every summer and every afternoon after classes were done in the lab. Mm. So I worked in the clinical pharmacology lab. I worked in the pharmacokinetics lab. And so I got a real taste for, 
you know, what's the, how experiments work, um, you know, as a low level technician, but it was a great uh, training ground to sort of understand the laboratory environment. And then when I learned that this doctor of pharmacy degree was available and it was clinically oriented, I got really excited about it because I think I, that's one thing I learned about myself is I do enjoy interacting with, with individuals as opposed to, you know, a slightly different laboratory, maybe closed, more closed environment. Yeah. So that's how I kind of got started on the pharmaceutical path, but mm. more from a direct patient care. And so my first, you know, I'd say eight years of my uh, professional life were spent working in hospitals as a clinical pharmacist. Yeah. I started as a clinical pharmacist, went to clinical infectious disease specialist, then became a clinical coordinator. So worked my way up the ranks working in hospitals, helping them articulate what were their strategies for the formulary. So mm -hmm. I wrote probably 400 drug reviews, new drug reviews, and would present them to the medical staff. And then we would decide, do we keep them on? Do we take them off? And uh, I also did um, some clinical research while I was there. And um, went into private practice for a brief period of time with an infectious disease doctor, which was a fabulous experience because then I got exposed to the pharmaceutical industry from the clinical research side, but not as the spot, not as the drug sponsor running the trials, but as one of the investigators. Right. So I, 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 you know, I learned, you know, all the things that one does as an, at the investigator site. I led all that. And I also um, led the research for this 900 patient AIDS clinic that he was looking after. Yeah. So that was fascinating and got exposed to all the different uh, kind of pharmaceutical companies and how they ran their trials. And um, the last thing I did, you know, during that chapter, um, I was very engaged in the local clinical pharmacy societies and, you know, served in leadership roles and uh, also did a number of continuing medication, continuing med ed lectures. Yeah. So I was always fascinated by, you know, high technology drugs and wanted to learn everything I could about them. And then, you know, so I spent a little bit of time doing that as well. So that's how I sort of got my intro to pharmaceutical industry. Literally, I had, I used to have 60 reps calling me as head of the P&T committee. Mm. So like, that's how I kind of got exposed. And, you know, looking back, that was my link into my first pharma job was a medical affairs specialist who I became friends with. And he said, you should really check this out. So that's sort of how I got my link into the pharma world. Yeah. So well, I guess in the, uh, say, the early days of your pharma um, career and, and getting into to trials and, and, and research, um, what were your sort of activities? What, what was the, the focus for yourself there? I know that you and I, when we last spoke, um, it appeared that it was very much on the, the oncology um, therapeutic expertise. Was that... Was that um, often there's been sort of people have had family, um, issues with, with, you know, cancer and things, and that has driven them into that. Was there anything like that for yourself or was it just, um, by chance that you, you ended up going down that line? Um, that's a great question. Um, it was very purposeful, but it evolved over time. So, you know, in looking back, you know, when working with all those AIDS, you know, those, those patients that had suffered from AIDS. Mm. Um, they ended up, many of them in the early days, there wasn't, there weren't all these combination therapies. There was single agent therapy. And so unfortunately it would develop these cancers called Kaposi's sarcoma. Yeah. So in a way I was sort of exposed to really two domains, infectious disease, which I had loved and a little bit of oncology. And so my first job uh, in pharmaceuticals was at Bayer yeah. uh, and it was at the, U the U.S. regional affiliate. And my first role, I was, you know, really quite fortunate because it was a hybrid role. I, I had a chance to learn a little bit about marketing 
and work in product development on their AIDS development compound at the time. Mm. And so it was a little bit of both. And then I evolved and, and really wanted to learn a little bit more about the commercial side. So I spent the first chapter, I would say, largely on infectious disease yeah. and worked my way up through the ranks of Bayer in a variety of you know, pharmaceutical marketing roles and global marketing and product development. And then I sort of really made a, a purposeful pivot when I saw, you know, the antibiotics market is starting to come back a little bit, but back then, um, the business model for antibiotics was getting pretty tricky because, you know, so many drugs were generic, it was getting commoditized, it was moving a little bit more towards pure antivirals, and I really loved the deep science, and so I thought, well, gosh, if I can switch into oncology, um, there's always something to be learned, it's such a high need. Yeah. And, you know, sort of leveraging the infectious disease experience. And I have a lot, I know a lot of colleagues that kind of made this transition from ID to oncology. So then I made this pivot and um, then went to the small biotech and oncology. That's how I started in the domain and have been in oncology for over 20 years now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, from there, um, the small biotech that you uh, were working back then, was that your, the sort of early 2000s that you were involved in that side of things with it? Yeah, it was around that time. Um, it was a biotech in Pennsylvania, and they were in the midst of raising their Series D financing. And, you know, the financing environment is so different now than it was then, because back then it was right after 9-11. It was actually, a two, yeah, around the time of 9-11, so the markets were closed. And it was a 29-person company. So, you know, as, as many people that work in startups know, you wear a lot of different hats. So yeah. I was hired as the VP of marketing. But I was also the medical monitor on the phase three trial. I wrote all the abstracts and posters for ASCO presentation. Mm -hmm. I helped with drug supply, you know, whatever was needed, which wrote the press releases. So, you know, you get, when you get to wear a lot of hats, I really fell in love with that kind of multidimensional enterprise level type of a role. Mm. Um, and, and it was interesting, um, a, a dear friend of mine um, who I'd worked with at Bayer, she went on to Pfizer. And she called me and she said, you know, Lena, they are about to acquire Pharmacia. It was public by then. And mm. Pharmacia has this big stable of oncology drugs. And, you know, they're really looking for people with oncology experience. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was intrigued, but wasn't sure because, you know, you know, Pfizer was this sort of big behemoth company. And I, you know, worked in mid-sized to small companies. But I went and interviewed and I really loved the people. And uh, so then I took a role at, at Pfizer, um, specifically in their oncology group. Yeah, I mean, it must have been, yeah, as you say, quite a, a change because I mean, us at Huxley Morton, sort of outside of the, the, the podcast, you know, we're a recruitment business. Um, you know, I'm one of the founders with my partner, but I still get involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day activities. And I quite like that. I mean, over the last, 18 months we've been trying out so many new innovations and technologies because we've been locked down we've been at home we've had extra time to do those things um and it's been fun to you know be wearing a, a marketing hat one day you know almost a, a recruitment and sales hat the, the, the next and then the finance admin and it's it's good to yeah experience all of that at, at the smaller companies and then to go to one of the big boys like Pfizer it must have been a shock so but that I think then comes in with it's not necessarily where you work it's who you're working with in your direct team and culture you know as, as a recruitment business that's what we're always looking to, to match is yeah. individuals to individuals rather than individuals to a, a company because a company doesn't necessarily 
have that culture. It's the team within the, the, the company. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, it was a fascinating experience on so many different levels, transferring, you know, my role into a large company. Mm. Um, I remember when I first got there, my very first day, I, uh, I met my new administrative assistant and she said, here's your plane tickets. You're going to a POA. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a sales planning meeting. Mm. Um, and so I was getting introduced to this meeting to hundreds of people. And I was, um, you know, it was really a lot of fun to sort of get into that bigger company environment, just to understand so many different departments, so many resources, yeah. um, even though it was a very large company. I think what you said is true about the culture and the spirit of the people, because we uh, were very entrepreneurial mm. because it was sort of a new therapeutic concept within a, a very strong primary care company. You know, back yeah. then they didn't really have an appreciation for oncology. They were learning it from people that they brought in. And so I can remember giving presentations and talking about response rates and having to use my hands to say shrink tumors, you know, the response yeah. rate means the tumor is shrinking. And so, you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, is, had it isn't it right? Sorry, I, 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 I think I recall from last time that some of the training and, and things that you uh, and advisory work you did was for the now CEO um, as yeah. part of the oncology team, right? Yeah. Um, well, Albert Borla, you know, was such a accomplished executive um, on so many different therapeutic domains and mm. had been so successful in the company for, for so much of his career. And this is when I was in the, you know, I had switched to product development within Pfizer. I took on global role and then was asked to move into the oncology group where I spent a lot of time helping shepherd a lot of oncology medicines to, yeah. from clinical trials through approval and beyond. So at the time, our president and general manager said, you know, Lena, we're, where we have a new head of our group and he wasn't the CEO then it was the job before the CEO uh -huh. and um you know I'd met Albert Boyla and they said you know could, would you mind sitting down with him and you know sharing a little bit you know about like our business and I remember this was like a Christmas Eve call um wow. which was you know not to be unexpected right it's a busy business mm. and not that I met with him on Christmas Eve but you know it was very exciting so I you know, basically prepared a presentation that talked about our products, talked about um, from the scientific and the commercial standpoint. And, um, you know, just, it was more of an orientation, but it was great because of course, you know, you get a window into the types of questions he asked. They were very thoughtful. Mm. Um, and it, he, you know, he could ask questions about the statistics, about the product positioning, about anything. You know, he had such a domain of expertise um, which was really fun. So yeah, that was my first chance meeting him was sort of orienting nice. to sort of our new department. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a credit to, to Pfizer in a way, because you don't hire specialists and then tell them what to do if you know people are working under you. You hire the specialist so that they can tell you what to do and you know give you a, an orientation as you did um, sort of back at that time. Absolutely. So look, following, following that, um, I guess you were there up until mid 2018 um a 15 year um sort of stretch with, with with them guys what made you say okay that's 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 it that's my time at, at, at Pfizer I now want to go and do something on, on, on my own you know you've, you've taken sort of um put the entrepreneurial hat on almost haven't you and said like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go out there and, and do something for myself what what brought you to that point um I would say it was sort of a bubbling towards that point it wasn't it wasn't like the, you know, the, the sharp pivot that I had made from infectious disease to oncology. It was more of a buildup. And 
my last couple of years at Pfizer, I was head of late phase development um, for the oncology business. So we had, you know, 13 different assets in the portfolio. I had a matrix of, you know, almost 150 people. Yeah. And, you know, we were doing such great work. And I loved my last role. I loved my last role because I got so much exposure and, you know, had the ability to help support so many team members across so many different functional domains. So my last two years at Pfizer, we had eight regulatory submissions um, for approval. Um, so that was, that was an extremely busy time. And those last two years, I was also um, working with some colleagues with the GLG Institute. And that was one of those programs that sort of help executives um, just get advice and mentorship and sort of thinking differently and laterally about their careers. And so I was sort of on this mission just to learn a lot about different functional domains. I met with someone who was head of negotiation at one of the big banks. Um, I, I met with um, people that were very savvy with board of directors and, you know, every domain outside of big pharma that had some role to play in healthcare. Mm. And so I, you know, I came across this uh, company through a recruiter for Garden Health and, um, you know, they're a company involved in cancer diagnosis and it's fascinating technology. Um, I've learned a lot. I spent about a year there in a C-suite role, kind of yeah. helping uh, start to build their emerging uh, cancer detection business and decided I really wanted to <clears throat> kind of leverage all my background experience in a role that was a little bit on, more entrepreneurial on my own. Yeah. And so, you know, since then, what I've been doing <clears throat> is working with, I'm an advisor to a venture capital firm that's very much involved in health tech technology. I'm uh, helping one company, who's a health tech company that does regulatory bioinformatics. It's a fascinating business mm. um, where this platform basically is the one that the FDA uses to review every single drug that has a biomarker. So that's wow. a fascinating platform, um, amazing business how, model. How does that e something like that even get put together and, and work? What are the guys like that are behind that, that business? Um, well, the guys behind that business, um, the one person was a, a very, um, high-ranking executive in the IT world um, at yeah. one of the big CROs. And the chief scientific officer used to be the head of bioinformatics at the FDA. And he basically invented that platform mm. um, in concert with his academic colleagues and brought it to the FDA. And now the FDA uses it um, to do reviews. And now this company takes this platform and is making it available to pharmaceutical company sponsors for their regulatory reviews. And it, it, it it has touch points across the drug development continuum, starting with discovery all the way to post-market monitoring. Yeah. So it's a fascinating, and it's, it's, it's really great. It's, it basically gives companies an insurance policy for mm. the quality and, and clarity of their data. Wow. That's one thing. And the other thing is I'm a, a co-founder in a precision medicine biotech and um, just starting to get into um, company formation. So you know, what I love about what I'm doing now is that I have just a diversity um, of topics and things. I'm helping a drug discovery company um, help with their lead candidate, position it and understand how it, how will it play in the clinical world? What were the mistakes made by some of the former competitors and sort of put all that together. So you're bringing clinical and commercial and discovery and non-clinical all together in one package. So you know, it's a variety of topics, so very exciting, all of them. But look, with regards to, to all of the new ventures, how is it all going? And what's what's changed since the, the pandemic 
broke out? What sort of challenges has that posed to yourself? Or it might not necessarily be challenges. A lot of the people that I've, I've spoken to, it's, it's the challenge of it almost brought out opportunity. So, how, I mean, paint the picture of, of how things look for you, yourself and, and the businesses now, Lena. Yeah, well, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I remember the month of February and March were sort of sketchy in terms of at least my own thinking. Do I get on a plane? Do I go meet with these individuals? Do I not? What's happening? And, you know, I started, I decided that, you know, I probably wouldn't travel as much and try to do a little bit more. I wasn't doing a ton of Zoom as my independent advisory company, mm. but I will tell you um, at Pfizer, we were used to remote working for a very long time because they have so many geographic sites. So mm. I'm very comfortable with Zoom or Skype or whatever, yeah. because, you know, I had, I think I had like eight or nine direct reports and those folks were in Milan, San Francisco, New York, Boston, Paris. So we were conducting business and bringing drugs to patients, mm. working remotely for many years. They're, they're, they're excellent at it. So then in a way, it wasn't that hard of a transition when the pandemic hit to utilize, you know, the technology that was at hand. Mm. And it's very interesting over time, you know, the first couple months, uh, just trying to figure out how to interact with people, uh, you know, and then it became quite easy. And in fact, I think there were a lot more opportunities presented. People, you know, the rest of the world became more comfortable with yeah. networking. That's the thing, you know, you want to go to a conference and network in person with people. That's what's natural. That's what we've been doing for 20 years, more than yeah. 20 years. Um, but so networking has taken on a new flavor. And in fact, I was able to network probably more efficiently since the pandemic hit that's how I've met so many interesting CEOs and investors is through LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been an amazing platform to meet individuals. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the work that I'm doing now is literally through folks I met on LinkedIn and I've never met them in person. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you and I um, sort of connected on, on LinkedIn. I think you, yeah. you've introduced me to a couple of um, the guests that we've had on the show, Craig Lipsit, Mike Rare. Um, you know it's it's an amazing platform right now and yeah. with the you know like like you i mean we've been kind of used to remote working for for some time um we've we've i think we've we, you know we've still improved at it over the past year i know that i've you know learned uh, you know about myself you know uh, the willingness and ability to take on new technologies and you know still innovate beyond what we were doing previously and i think everyone has whether you were used to zoom and, and things previously has still learned a, a lot about themselves in, in the last say six months i mean what would you say were the one or, or or two standout points that have you know you've learned about yourself in, in the last six months to a year since you know the pandemic had, had broke out oh okay that's a great question so one would be sort of let go and open yourself up to the universe you know uh, the pandemic shouldn't constrain how you think about your career, how you think about interacting with people, how you want to conduct your business, because it can still continue. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I don't, I'm not caring for small children anymore. Mm. So, you know, I don't, I may not have encountered some of the challenges that, that, you know, many of my colleagues do, but I would say, you know, one thing I learned about myself is to just open up to the universe. I'm very open to new ideas and talking to people and, you know, giving thoughtful responses to questions and always, you know, always try to leave something better than when you started with it. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, though it's to me, it's, it's quite easy to help people um, in this way. You're not, you know, just think about the time you're saving, not commuting, not on a plane, not on a train. I had like Uber mega titanium status on so many airlines, you know, most yeah. of my career and not having that actually has opened up more time to think, to read, to learn new things. And just, you know, I've learned things that I thought I never could since the pandemic because I'm just open to it. And mm. so I'm going into different areas of the science that I wouldn't have before actually. Mm. And I think on the, the, the time thing is, is, you know, a massive one, isn't it? A lot of people, yes, a lot of us are restrictive, you know, in terms of going out to socialize and, and things. Um, but we've been given back so much time that we would otherwise spend traveling or, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that actually when you look at it and, and pick out a lot of the positives from it, you, you think actually there's some bits that you'd want to go back to. There's other bits you're like, oh, I quite like a happy medium on this. I know that's, 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 that's yeah. definitely the case for me. I mean, and um, that I've got a young son, 18 months old. So, I mean, that's been, that's been amazing, you know, seeing him sort of grow up and he used um, sort of the, he's getting potty or toilet trained at, at the moment. And he, he went to the loo for the first time um, yesterday, but my, my, my partner was like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, the fact that I was at home and I could be like, oh, let me have a look. Sounds a bit gross, but I was like, let me, let me have a look. Very proud of him. Absolutely. I mean, you know, parents can actually be present for more milestones Mm. and the same, you know, with your spouse or whatever. I mean, being present, more present with your family, I think has been great. Most definitely. Well, look, um, it's great to hear sort of how you progressed kind of through the ranks from, yeah, uh, a child going into work with with your father, you know, right through um, to all of the milestones that you've been through in the career including 15 years at Pfizer to now expanding that and doing almost kind of back to where you were where you're wearing many hats now but just in different organizations right you've gone full circle but um in in a slightly different way I mean what advice would you give to you know aspiring professionals that are maybe looking to follow in your footsteps oh well um one thing that I always try to do is is establish mastery in your function as much as you can, um, but be open to helping others laterally. So, you know, if there's a colleague in another department that needs help, be, be open to helping them. Get to know the leaders in your organization, not just vertically, but but horizontally mm. or laterally. Um, and, and just sit down with people. And, you know, if you're interested in making a change, for instance, get to know people. If you want to learn more about le- regulatory, do what you and I are doing now, sit down with them. Well, how did you get your start? Well, how did you decide to go from this to that? You know, actually developing interviewing skills is one of the best things one can do because not only you're learning about the person, but you're learning on how to interrogate and gain insight. And, mm-hmm. and so that's something, you know, if you're, if you're earlier in your, early in your career, get insights on things that are interesting or things you don't understand. So sit down with a person or say, hey, can I spend like a couple hours with you or follow you around? Or, you know, now we're virtually following people around maybe, but that'll end at some point and we'll get back yeah. to more, you know, ha- probably having a hybrid. But those are the, the couple of things that I would recommend is, you know, never start, le- stop learning. Um, try to get established master of your domain, help folks not only up, but across and um, see where it takes you. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. And yeah, certainly with, the, with regards to, to asking questions. I think sometimes the, the younger generation, 
think sometimes that they, they need to know it all too soon. It's, it's like you have to almost embrace the fact that you're always going to be a novice at something before you can master it. Just don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I, that's probably one of the traits that I've always had. I've always been open to, to asking for support. Sometimes, you know, almost like a child. I, I think my partner would probably say, James, it's because you are a big child. Um, but I think sometimes it's been helpful because, you know, if I don't understand, so I just ask and then people are normally happy to explain it uh, and happy to help, aren't they? You know, so um, look, that's, I think that's great advice. I, I 100% back you um, and all the, on all of that side of things. I guess, look, before we um, sort of wrap up here, um, I guess one of the things that's been playing on my mind is at the moment, there's a lot in the press, certainly here in the UK about the vaccines and, and doses and, and things like this. So as somebody who's been in the world of, of trials for a long time and you're an experienced head, what, I mean, I don't know what to think because I'm, I'm not a scientist and it's not necessarily my don domain. So I'm asking, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on the, the weakening of like the doses um, in order to distribute it to more people faster and um, I guess negate that the lagging supply chain and, and things so what I don't know I mean I don't know what to think on it because it's like has that been yeah. tested you know we the trials have been done with the data and the dosage that is, is prescribed to then change things it's like I, I don't know if you could just yes yeah, give a quick snippet of your thoughts on that. So look, yeah, kind of we've all got an yeah, idea. I mean, again, this is this is personal opinion, but yeah, personal, you know, yeah, personal always, opinion, of course. Yeah, I mean, growing up in the pharmaceutical industry for so many years, um, you can expect to get the result. You can get a result based on what you studied in the trial. That's mm. the clearest way to see an outcome. So if you study a certain dose and it delivers a certain type of efficacy, if you give it in that manner, you can expect that kind of outcome. Mm. What is not known is if you don't give the regimen that was tested in the trials, you really don't know the outcome. Mm. There's uncertainty around that because it wasn't studied. Yeah. Now, you know, you think about oncology, well, you know, so many drugs are given off label because there's such a high admit need and and you know hopefully physicians are prescribing it based on some level of evidence even if it's not a rigorous phase three trial yeah. you know there's usually some evidence or biological rationale to do that mm. but with the vaccine on the other hand um if it were me i would want to receive it in the way it was studied in the trial well, yeah i mean that's that's my opinion on it but look, it's, it's good that look, I, I wanted to ask because yeah it's, it's been something that's been playing on my mind it's been a, how, a topic of conversation in my household anyway i'm sure there's others um that are asking the same sort of question so look, it's, it's good to uh, get your insights on that but moving away from something so serious such <laughs> as um the, the vaccines um look, before i let you go i guess We've heard about how you got into the, the world of pharma and, and you know what you've been up to um, over the years and, and what you're doing now. But outside of, of work, you know, what what do you do to, to relax, enjoy yourself, Lena? Um, as a bit of positivity to, to, to wrap things up here. Oh, very good. Um, well, I don't read as many fiction books as I would like to um, because I tend to get excited about a scientific topic and then I'm just reading more articles when I have some free time. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I, uh, 
I've been, I have a piano and so I've been playing the piano since I was a young child and mm -hmm. um, I learned to play a number of other instruments but right now it's primarily the piano so I play the piano and um, you know walk and, you know obviously it's beautiful weather where I live so you can be outside yeah. and um, <clears throat> we just got our bikes put back together from the move so I'm looking forward to that. Very nice indeed so getting out and about enjoying that that Florida weather. Thanks so much for giving us an insight um, about your yeah, professional uh, life and, and your personal interests. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, on the show. Uh, and look, I'm sure that you and I will keep in contact, but if there's anyone, I guess, listening in or sees this released via um, LinkedIn, where, where is the best place to get you? Is it is it LinkedIn or is there any other sort of socials that people should um, Yeah, I think LinkedIn on? would be a great, you know, kind of hub for anybody that wanted to reach out and um, you know, if I can give some advice, I'd be open to it. Perfect. Well, Lena, as I say, thanks very much for coming on the show. Uh, and you and I will certainly keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, James. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.